Alexander. Shabbat for three. Bingo! Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. Butler will get it for the win. He is hard to believe. Here's Jordan. What's going on, guys? Welcome to another episode of Dime Dropper for our, one of our 2022 NBA playoff recaps. Before we get started, please make sure to subscribe on YouTube at Dime Dropper Podcast, Apple Podcast, follow us on Spotify, and of course to follow us on all social media platforms at Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at Dime Dropper Pod. So tonight is a very special night. Three teams gone. Going goodbye, going fishing, but one in particular puts the biggest smile on my face, the Utah Trasher, Dunzo, and we are going to get into why they are Dunzo, why they are such frauds, why this is the end of the Utah Trash and this era of Utah Trash basketball and Trashketball as we like to call it, and why they just suck. And we're also going to talk about the Toronto Raptors and Philadelphia 76ers. It was not the pipe dream of Glenn Rivers blowing a... 3-0 lead, they did get the job done, so we're going to talk about how they got that done, and then maybe the best game of the night, I think the Jazz-Mavs one was good, but the best game throughout for four quarters that entertained me the most was the Phoenix Suns against the New Orleans Pelicans, closing the job out there, we saw the return of Devin Booker, and we saw one of the best games of Chris Paul's playoff career, and that's saying a lot, considering how many great games he's had. Let's first get into the frauds against the Mavs. Obviously, it was a must-win situation. You go back to Utah, crowd was fired up. And I thought the beginning of the game was pretty even. First quarter was, I think, only a two-point game after one. No, it was actually a six-point game. Utah 21, Jazz 15. So as you can tell by that scoreline, really defensive, good defense from both sides. You could tell the Jazz were playing with a bit of desperation. Great, you know, hard closeouts. And one thing I noticed from the Dallas Mavericks, they really wanted to put a lot of the guards for the Jazz in pick and roll. So Donovan Mitchell, a lot of a lot of Donovan Mitchell's man setting the screen. Guys like, you know, Reggie Bullock, Dorian Finney-Smith. And I thought Donovan actually had a solid defensive night tonight. He, he did a good job of showing and recovering. And I think all the Jazz guys that had to do that did a good, de- did a decent job of that in the first half. Especially in the first quarter where the Mavs only scored 15 points. Jalen Brunson, he actually started out the best for the Dallas Mavericks, getting to the basket and scoring. But Donovan was aggressive on the other end for the Jazz and set a pretty good tone for Utah getting into the paint. He made a three in the first quarter. The thing about the Jazz is they were missing their open threes from the first quarter. And it was something that would continue as the game went on. And for the second consecutive year, We're going to be talking about the Utah Jazz missing open threes en route to a failure in the playoffs. So live by the three, die by the three. You know why it's a saying. And the thing about the Jazz is they took some bad ones, but tonight I don't think they took that many bad ones. And they didn't even shoot 40 plus. They shot 35, only made nine. But first quarter, so far so good for Utah. Dallas, I actually thought, or Utah, Utah, I should say, was actually doing a similar thing where they were trying to get the Maverick wings to to guard and pick and roll. Guys like Luka, guys like Dorian Finney-Smith. So they would use Bogdanovich as the screener, sometimes Conley, and try to get some pick and pop looks. 
Boyan Bogdanovich actually started guarding Jalen Brunson in the first quarter, I remember. And he was doing a decent job on some possessions. Some possessions getting blown by. Mike Conley, though, and we're going to get into him in a little bit more depth as we go on. But that dude just cannot, could not hit a three. It was like, and bad misses too. Like really bad misses. Not just right. Because Mike Conley's one of those shooters usually where it's either right on line or back of the rim. He's a really accurate shooter from deep. It has been the last, you know, six years or so. But this was just ridiculous, some of the misses he was having tonight. Rudy Escargobert also doing a really good job on the help side. Uh, and just overall defensively in that first quarter, just roaming and getting ready to protect the rim when need be. Second quarter was actually totally different. M- many more points were scored. 32-26 to 26 in favor of the Jazz. They actually were made the run. It was really even actually for the first... I want to say 20 minutes of game time. And it was the end of the second quarter where the Jazz took a 12-point lead in and got on a little run with Jordan Clarkson and a little bit of Bogdanovich, a little bit of Donovan. Donovan made some really solid reads in the pick and roll all game long. I thought he didn't force it much at all tonight. He didn't even shoot 20 shots, so it was a, a better Donovan game for sure. And you saw just Rudy Escargobert and drop coverage against Luka, and he's just so tough because Royce O'Neal, I thought he did an incredible job on Luka all night long, fighting over every single screen. And Rudy does a really good job, obviously, of playing roller and, and, and ball handler. And they were sinking in and giving up some open threes, the Utah Jazz, but definitely taking away Dwight Powell at the rim and trying to take away Luka getting into a floater. Dwight Powell only shot two shots and only played 11 minutes. So, But the Jazz, yeah, ended the second quarter well. The third quarter, though, that's when it really started turning on the Jazz, and the Dallas Mavericks got hot from deep. They went 8 for 12 from 3 in the third quarter. And a lot of it started with Jalen Brunson and Luka Doncic. Jalen Brunson was attacking all game, just all game. But Luka, he started seeing different kinds of coverages and pick and roll in that third quarter. They switched a bit. He had a couple of nice step backs. Put him in drop coverage. Got into the paint a little bit. Kicked it out to some open shooters as they, you know, sunk in. Take away the the lob attempt, potential lob attempt. And then we saw them blitz a lot. And when he, when they blitzed, Luka got some hockey assists. And everybody was knocking down threes. Dorian Finney-Smith, Spencer Dinwiddie, Jalen Bronson, Reggie Bullock. They all, And, and they what, what also enabled them to do that is that when they took Dwight Powell out... They went really, really small. At one point, they even went so small, they were playing in a lineup without Kleba, with basically Dorian Finney-Smith and Luka as their two biggest guys. Dorian Finney-Smith, Luka, Reggie Bullock, Spencer, and Jalen Brunson to spread the floor. And it's just a damn shame for the Jazz. It's that same old story. Rudy Escargobert can't take advantage of mismatches, just doesn't have anything offensively. Only shot six times, and it was three of six. You know why those are efficient? Because they're all off little dump-offs, offensive rebounds, little things like that. And not anything that is reliable creation. And that has hurt the Jazz for since 2019 against the Rockets. You know, the first year they were together with this team with Donovan and and um, and Rudy. They beat the Thunder. They overachieved. Got a game off the Rockets. That was a really good Rockets team. One of the best Rockets teams ever. One of the best teams not to win a ring. So nobody really... It wasn't a big deal then, but, you know, it's a give or take with Rudy. Such a great defender. Amazing at what he does. One of the best rim protectors in NBA history. But... Just so weak offensively, so lacking of fundamentals in the post. And, you know, he had one, I'm pretty sure he had one deep catch tonight and finish. 
and everybody's saying, oh, the French national team is better, all this stuff. I'm sorry. That can't be an excuse after this. Like, all these years, come on, man. French national team, go get the ball in the post, dude. It's a mismatch. If they don't get, start, as Shaq said, start getting three in the keys if they don't pass. And I thought Donovan actually gave it to Rudy when he needed to tonight. I thought he could have involved him in some more pick and rolls personally. But third quarter was just the three ball show for the for the Mavs. And the crazy part was the Jazz, even though the Mavs were playing good defense and making them work, running them off the three-point line and making them make extra passes, I thought the Jazz still got a ton of good looks in the third. Tons. A lot of open threes, and they just could not hit them. Whether it was Royce O'Neal, Bogdanovich, Donovan missing threes. 36-19 in favor of the Mavs in the third quarter. And then the fourth. It was kind of a stalemate. Kind of a stalemate, but the Jazz just really continued to miss open threes. I don't even know what else to say, really. And you started to see Luka Doncic try to target Rudy. By the way, the Jazz, before Rudy Escargobert came back in the game, were running with a lineup with Eric Paschal in. They, I don't know why they put him in so late. I thought he could have given a little bit more than he did. But, by the way, Maxi Kleba was coming off some pick and pops with Luka, and it, those are hard to guard. With You don't, you definitely, you're... The guy guarding Maxi Kleba needs to take away Luca's drive. So you're basically double teaming Luca and leaving Maxi Kleba open, and someone needs to rotate. And a couple of those rotations were not very sharp, not great communication. There was one where Bogey and, and Rudy didn't communicate, and they got burned. But the fourth quarter was close. The fourth quarter was kind of next. To, it was 88 82. The Mavs were winning by six with around six minutes left. You started to think maybe this is, they're going to push it home. But Donovan Mitchell, he really started taking over the game and getting to the basket, dumping it off to an open. Uh, I remember he, one time he dumped it off to, to Rudy. He got to the foul line and was just attacking, attacking the paint relentlessly, turning the corner on pick and rolls. But the other on the other side, you know, Luca's getting Rudy involved in pick and rolls and making them making the Jazz make decisions. If you're gonna go drop coverage, I'm gonna run a picky pick and pop with Maxi Kleba. He's been hitting, he's starting to feel it, or a pick and pop with Dorian Finney Smith. It was mostly Maxi Kleba though that Rudy was guarding, if I'm if I'm not mistaken. And then they started just kind of blitzing Luca. And then after that, they started going with switching Rudy on him on an island. They Luca got into a step back three and hit it, and then they doubled started double teaming. And making the Jazz or the Mavs swing the ball, and, and Dorian Finney-Smith, man, he had a huge three to make it 88 to 80. But anyway, the Jazz did tie the game, went on a 6-0 run to tie it 88-80, and then again, Dorian Finney-Smith off a of Luka Doncic assist, big time shot, put the Jazz, uh, put the Mavs up 91-88. Just big shot making from the role players from three. And what's crazy is Donovan did get an assist to Boyan Bogdanovich to tie the game at 94. But he was answered by Luka Doncic having another assistant pick and roll to Jalen Brunson for a huge three in the left corner. It was a huge. And then the next two possessions, insanely stupid decisions by the Jazz. Donovan Mitchell is the guy that has completely taken over this game. He's getting you guys a good shot every time. They're, when the Mavs are switching, he's going at them one-on-one. -on -one. When they're going in drop coverage, he's making the right making the right reads. And when, he's, when they're blitzing him, he's throwing it to Rudy or throwing it to whoever's in the pick and pop with him. And they don't even go to him. He doesn't even touch the ball. Boyan Bogdanovich takes a heave three and misses badly. Don't know what he was thinking. Heat check. You're in no position to be taking that. You just made an open three, not a contested three. And then the next time down, you got, I, I'm pretty sure that was Mike Conley just running to the rim, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, taking a step back three. It's like, dude, Mike Conley is usually very smart. 
What's he doing? Get the ball to Donovan. And they were lucky that they still cut the game down to one. But Mike Conley in transition. Jazz elected not to call a timeout. Stopped his dribble out of nowhere. It was a tough situation. Two guys ran at him around the basket. He could have tried a wraparound pass on the baseline uh, to Rudy. One thing I like to do when I play, when I'm running up the court and I have a big man, I see a big against a smaller guy kind of deep in, but maybe he's fronting him and maybe there's, you know, he's kind of wrestling. I just throw the ball as high as I can in their direction to just, at the very least, if he does his job, he'll catch that ball. Just make sure the pass is good, good enough that he can catch it. And it's towards the rim as opposed to if he's playing him topside. But I understand I haven't played against NBA length, so I I don't blame Mike Conley for not throwing that pass when he was running up the court. Um, I also don't blame him for trying to throw it, fit in a pass underneath. It was a tight window, but to stop his dribble, you got to keep it alive. Lost his footing and traveled. That put a smile on my face. Nothing personal with Mike Conley, but I, you guys already know that he's part of the, first of all, my two least favorite franchises in NBA history, the Grizzlies in the, in the trash, the teddy bears in the trash. And he was part of those famous Grizzlies teams that used to give me freaking fits. I just couldn't stand them and I couldn't stand him. I'll never be able to like him like that. I mean, as a basketball player, even though, I respect Mike Conley a lot, guys. And when he retires, I'll give him his flowers, and I'll always speak highly of him because I know how good he was. And I wouldn't be hating on him if he wasn't good. But that was a big mistake. He's totally washed. And then, the funny enough, the Jazz were still able to get another chance because Jalen Brunson missed a free throw. And Quinn Snyder drew up an interesting play. He went for the jugular, went for the win. Two screens. Boyan Bogdanovich cut off, uh, I'm sorry, came off of them. A nice cross-court pass. He was wide open for three. Pump faked, could have stepped into the mid-range for the tie, could have maybe attacked the basket, elected to take a wide-open three, and bricked badly. And the season ended for the Utah Trash in the first round, losing two games to Luka Doncic. I'm sorry, to a Luka Doncic-less Mavs team in this first round. Last year, they blew a 25-point lead in front of my own eyes. You can catch that on my YouTube channel, the video of me at the game to my Clippers in game six, lost a game five at home with Kawhi Leonard hurt. And then the previous year blew a three, one lead to the Denver Nuggets. So the Utah trash, you're going to see some serious changes. This will probably be the end of Donovan Mitchell in Utah, which I'm happy about. because He's like the only player on that team. I like keep Rudy there and retool around retool, or maybe trade. If Donovan's down to stay, which I doubt he is keep Donovan trade Rudy and retool around there. But yeah, I don't think they should blow it all the way up because those two are still very good players. One of them's in their prime. Why not? Unless, I, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe go all in. Whatever. Anyways, final score is 98-96. The Dallas Mavericks win their first series since 2011 since they won the championship. I'm really happy for the Mavs. I don't really dislike the Mavs like that. Like I don't know what it is. Clipper fans just got annoyed that they gave us a hard time, but we beat them twice. So I have no idea what to... I, I don't really hate a team that, I, that we beat. Yeah, they're a little annoying when you play them. Luka's annoying, but we beat them. Dallas Mavericks are the only team that the Clippers have beaten twice in the playoffs. And that's a fact, Jack. Um, yeah, so I have nothing against the Mavs. Dorian Finney-Smith, what a game and what a series he had. 18 points, 10 rebounds, and 5 assists tonight. No turnovers. 7 for 13 from the field and 4 for 9 from deep. 
absolutely, and he guarded Donovan Mitchell basically the whole series. His three-point shooting was, you know, would make or break them some games in last year's playoffs against against my Clips. And this season, this playoffs, he brought it. This was the best series of his career. He played 46 minutes tonight and was just spectacular all series long. I got to give him his flowers. He's really improved each year. Gotten, just hit that three with more consistency. Reggie Bullock, he didn't actually get many looks, even though he played 44 minutes. Shot six threes. Those were all his shots. He made two of them. Big ones, though. Six points for him, six rebounds. Played good defense as well. Two assists, two steals. Both both teams under 100 points, so we saw some defense in this game for sure. Jalen Brunson, another fantastic game. He just was unbelievable this series. Probably the MVP of this series for the Dallas Mavericks. Yeah, I would say definitely the MVP of this series. Probably he played he probably played the best of anyone in the series, if we're being real. Just fantastic performances. 24 points for Brunson. Now he proved me wrong. I wouldn't actually I don't I wouldn't say I bet against him, but I had doubts about Brunson being the second best player on a playoff team. And he totally did it. He could argue he was the best player on a playoff team the way he played. But 24 points, nine of seventeen shooting, two for two for two for four from the three point line. So fifty percent. We'll take that all day. And then for the other guys. Only two bench players got even more than two minutes, and that was Maxi Kleba, who was three for seven. One, one for five from three, though. He didn't have a great night shooting the ball. 7.6 rebounds, three assists. And, of course, Spencer Dinwiddie, who had a good one tonight. They needed it. 19 points. Only one turnover. Seven for 12. And four for seven from deep. So he did the job. And then Luca. Not the best shooting night. Royce, credit Royce O'Neal did such an amazing job uh, getting over screens and using his length to bother Luca, knowing he was right behind him on pick and rolls. And, you know, created a couple turnovers, getting his hands on some passes. Luca had three turnovers, but the Mavs took care of the ball. Only nine turnovers as a team, and that's part of the reason they win. They won. You've got to take care of the ball on the road. Don't let them get fast breaks. Don't let the crowd get involved as much as you can. And the Jazz, and the Mavs did exactly that. 24 points for Luca, nine rebounds, eight assists. Three turnovers, two steals, and two blocks. That's some really nice defensive plays. Played 42 minutes. Shot 8 for 21, but 4 for 10 from deep. And he'll only get healthier as this playoffs goes. So the Dallas Mavericks going to move on to play against the Phoenix Suns. I'm rooting for the Mavs in this one. And it's going to be a fun series. I think the Suns have too much for them. But we we can talk about that actually after I finish the Suns recap. The Jazz, or the Trash, I should say. Royce O'Neal. By the way, 9 for for the Mavs. 17 for 33 from deep as a team. So 39.5%. That's huge. The Jazz, 9 for 35. Terrible. Royce O'Neal, 4 for 9. Had 8 points and 6 rebounds. Had a really good game. But 0 for 5 from 3. Even one of those could have helped immensely. Boyan Bogdanovich, he had a good series. But not really that great defensively. 19 points, 7 for 15 from the field, 3 for 6 from deep. I don't know what his contract situation is. He also missed two free throws. Easily needed one, 2 for 4. He's got to hit at least 3. He's got to hit at least 3. And that would have made a difference. So, just a total choke job in ways by the Utah Trash. 10 points, 12 rebounds for Rudy Escargobert. No blocks though, but also no turnovers. 3 for 6 from the field, 4 for 4 from the foul line. And then Mike Conley 11 points, 4 rebounds, 8 assists, 3 turnovers. I thought he wasn't terrible, but just the fact that he was 1 for 6 from deep and a lot of them were pretty decent looks and then he didn't end the game well. He just, to me, he had one good game and it was game 1 and that was it. 
other than that, he played pretty awful in all the other ones. Just it's just he's just washed. The decline was, to be honest, after he left Memphis. I know he played well last year, but I think it was when he left Memphis. Had a good year last year, but he's washed. Donovan Mitchell. Maybe his last game as a member of the Utah Trash. 23 points, 8 rebounds, 9 assists, 5 turnovers. So that's a little too much. They had 15 as a team. I'm sorry, no 11. So not that bad. He was 9 for 17. So efficient. 2 for 7 from deep. 3 for 4 from the line. I don't think he really did anything wrong, if I'm being real. I don't think this was on Donovan. Maybe just turned the ball over a little bit too much. And then Jordan Clarkson did not have a good shooting night. Missed a lot of shots usually makes, and that hurt them. Five for 15 from the field. Two for six from deep and 15 points. The Utah Trash are donezo. I'm happy I don't like to talk about them anymore. Absolute frauds. Now let's move on to another team that are going to be found out as frauds in due time, and that is the Philadelphia 76ers. By the way, shout out to all my people in the live right now. 15 of you waiting patiently for me to get to the live subscribers. Member Super Chats are turned on. If you want to drop a dollar or a dime for your boy, any donation counts. Any donation helps. Grinding for you guys. Trying to do the best I can to give you the utmost and best, th- most thorough content and try my best to improve the software and keep getting better each year. Maybe have money for some guests in the summer. We'll see what we can do. Let's talk about the 76ers and the Toronto Raptors. Obviously, there was a lot of pressure going into this game on Philly because they don't want to be forced to play a game seven after being up 3 nothing. And Toronto's got all the momentum even though they don't have Fred Van Vliet. I said before the game, I said on this podcast with um, Nelly J and Fahim, the Toronto, uh, Torontoans, I believe. Is that, how you, is that how you say Is that what people from Toronto are called? Anyway, Raptors fans from Toronto had me on their podcast and were nice enough to have me. And I told them that if I'm the Sixers, though, Embiid and Harden got to rip out the hearts of the, of the Raptors from the get-go. And it wasn't necessarily from the get-go, but James Harden, even though I don't like him, he wasn't Plumber Jim tonight. He was James Harden tonight. He was attacking the paint on pick and rolls relentlessly to start the game and was getting in the paint at will. Coming off screens, dumping it off, finding open shooters, whether it be Tyrese Max or Tobias Harris. And when they were in drop coverage, just getting downhill, getting to the basket for layups. There was one time he went away from the screen, got a wide open dunk, and he put a little authority on that one, looking like a little Houston James Harden there. And then Joel Embiid was a little quiet in the first six minutes. He didn't didn't even catch the ball inside the three-point line, it felt like, for the first six minutes. But, and he was also getting attacked on defense by Scotty Barnes. But he, he, he grew into the game. One thing I noticed as far as Toronto was they were trying to go at Embiid with Scotty Barnes. Definitely trying to go at Embiid. And the Sixers started going zone. I think to try to not make Embiid work too hard on defense or get in potential foul trouble. And it changed things. The Raptors didn't really know where to go. Their shooting struggled. Gary Trent Jr. is really their only really good three-point shooter out there because they had Pascal Siakam. Um, OG Ananobi is a pretty good shooter. But Scotty Barnes, Ken Birch, you can take that. Ken Birch only played five minutes, so he got subbed out real quick. And they went to Achua, Boucher, and Thaddeus Young. But those guys, you know, not necessarily great three-point shooters either. And as a team, Toronto was 7 for 35 from deep. And that was part of the reason they just really couldn't get a rhythm going. But... First quarter, 34-29 in favor of Philly. I thought Tyrese Maxey started the game pretty well. And 
you know, as the second quarter went on, the Raptors actually outscored the Sixers in that quarter, 32-28. And part of that was because they started to figure out the zone, started to hit some shots, started to get a ton of offensive rebounds. They got 10 of offensive ten offensive rebounds in the first half. And a large reason was Chris Boucher had 19 points, was absolutely everywhere. He had a really solid series. He showed me a lot. Rebounded, was active with his length, hit a couple of threes. He had two threes, two for six, though, in the game, so not great. But was getting the Raptors back into it. Harden slowed down a bit as the half went on. He got scored on also at least twice. One time, I think it was Gary Trent that's mixed him. But you could see on the other end, the Sixers were trying to go at Gary Trent in the pick and roll. You saw a lot more guards setting the screens for the Sixers, like Maxi for pick and pops and uh, Tobias Harris here and there. Mostly Maxi though, not Harris. But they're trying to make they're trying to make him guard Gary Trent. And if they switched him on to Harden, Harden was actually getting the step on him and was getting the better of him. But Danny Green and Tyrese Maxey were hitting their open threes in the first half. Oh, Maxey was... I'll get to Maxey. He was really hitting more than just open threes in the first half. But Danny Green, in the first half especially, was just spectacular. He was hitting some... He hit like a step-back three. Side-step, step-back, hitting a bunch of corner threes. He's, and he started tonight, Danny Green. Four for seven. All his shots were threes. He had 12 points and five boards. He was phenomenal. But the third quarter is really where the 76ers took the series away. And it started with James Harden and Joel Embiid. Joel Embiid caught the ball a couple times in the mid-range area and got to a couple pull-ups. He didn't even really go to the post. I don't even remember him going to the low post once tonight. He got the ball in the mid-post, but never the low post. Uh, And he still scored 33 points, like, with ease. Just shows how much skill he has. And he can really play like a shooting guard, like a small forward or shooting guard. Just one dribble mid-range is pull-ups. But James Harden just continued to make such great reads in pick and roll, got two feet in the paint. And what's crazy is, you know, that when they would switch, because the Raptors do switch a lot, he would just he was getting the step tonight. He was getting the step. He was hitting the step back. He hit two step backs in the second half, and he was showing some emotion. You know, it felt good. If he, you could tell he felt like James Harden again. And Tobias Harris was making open threes. He had seven points in the third quarter. But the real story of the third quarter was Ty Reese Maxey. When he hit, he hit one open three, then he hit another one in transition. But when he hit this deep one pull-up in transition, I was like, "Uh uh-oh. He got to the foul line four times, and then there was one when he was handling the ball and pick and roll. He spun away to over his right shoulder, went back to the left wing and drained one. And they outscored the Raptors 37-17 in the quarter. And part of why that was, you got to see them get in transition a little bit too off stops. They actually went away from the zone. They went to -to man-to-man. And what you started seeing was Joel Embiid not even guarding Scotty Barnes. He was sagging off of him like crazy. And Barnes was not making his open threes. And it's at that one point, it's like, why is he still standing out there then? If you're not, you clearly need to put in some work in the offseason on the three ball. Why are you still standing out there? Because they're not even guarding him. And it was clogging all the lanes for OG and Pascal. And Pascal still had 24 points on 9 for 17 shooting and 7 rebounds, 7 assists. He still had a decent game. And overall, a pretty decent series. He fouled out, but... It was tough. It was really tough when Scotty Barnes was getting basically neglected like that. It's like, why not be in the dunker spot or why not be around the rim? And that's the thing about this 6-9 lineup is who's going to score in the post? Siakam is the only one that seems to have any decent post game. He doesn't really go to it as much as I figured he would. You're gonna If you're going to have 6-9 and you're going to want to exploit mismatches, you got to get in the post a little bit. you got to develop some of that. And Scotty Barnes can do that, but not against Embiid. It's not, I'm talking about the other guys, the Bouchers, the, the Precious Achuas, 
these guys need to be able to, you know, take advantage of this. I even saw OG Ananobi going to the post a couple times this series, and that was good. But that's something going forward they should work on, because if they want to go all six nine, they need to have the spacing needs to be solved. They have to either hit, all be able to, you know, hit open threes, or get some kind of in between game or, or post game. Because they were just neglecting Scotty Barnes, and they weren't. There wasn't really a run by the Raptors in the fourth. It was, it was Embiid came in, hit a couple of jumpers in the beginning of the fourth quarter, and that was that. Embiid was spectacular in the second half, thirty three points for him. He did exactly what a star does. Didn't even notice the finger injury. Ten rebounds. The only thing is about Embiid, it's not the first round that it's I'm judging him off. You know, he played great in the first round last year. Played great in the first round when they lost to the Celtics in the bubble without Ben Simmons. Joel Embiid, it's the second round. It's the second round where he needs to take the next step. He's never been out of the second round. He's playing against a no-joke Heat squad. So we'll see how he does then. But it was an amazing series for him. By far the best player in the series. Playing as well as really anyone in the league right now. 33 and 10, 12 for 16 shooting. That's 66%. 0 for 4 from deep, but 9 for 10 from the line. Just spectacular. And then Tobias Harris did his job. 19 points and 11 boards. 7 for 15 shooting, 3 for 8 from deep. Had some really good games in this series, particularly the first two games in this one. So the, he's one of the X factors for the Sixers team. He plays well. They got a good chance of winning. As I said, Danny Green, 12 and 5 on 4 for 7 from deep. And then Tyrese Maxey, 15 points in the in the third quarter, 25 points and eight assists. He is so quick. He's such a great shooter from deep. Five for 12 from three. That's a lot of threes, but shot a good percentage. Eight for 16, 50% from the field. He played 44 minutes. Harden played 42. They did not go to their bench much at all. George Niang did hit two threes, though, when he was in. Two for three from that distance. And then Paul Reed, four for five in 12 minutes, nine points. For the Raptors, Besides Siakam, who was 24-7-7 and on 9-for-17, OG Ananobi had a tough one. Five points, 2-for-7 from the field. Just was very quiet overall offensively. And then Scotty Barnes, 18 points and 7 boards, 8-for-20 from the field, and 2-for-7 from 3. Trust me when I say it felt worse uh, seeing it, just watching the game. And then Gary Trent, 19 points on 7-15 of shooting, 2-for-6 from deep. And Chris Boucher, 25-10 and on 7-for-13 shooting and 2-for-6 from deep, 9-for-10 from the line. In the end, the Philadelphia 76ers out-rebounded them 47-37. at And the Philadelphia 76ers move on to the second round for the second consecutive season. The third season, third time in four years. Actually, the fourth time in five years. So the Embiid era, he does get to the second round a lot, but he has never won in the second round. And Glenn Rivers hasn't made it past the second round since 2012. 132-97 in favor of the 76ers. They outscored the Raptors 52-38 to in points in the paint and were 96% from the foul line, 22 for 23 also shot 16 for 40 from three. That's 40%. So kudos to them, even though I hate them. And now we're going to end with the Pelicans and the Phoenix Suns. Whew. This was a fun series. Talk about a fun series. You didn't expect it to be, but with Booker's injury, that twisted the tail a little bit or, you know, put a twist in our tail. And tonight was a fun game. A lot of energy in the building. A really even to start the game. DeAndre Ayton, though, came out and, and made a statement. Just hitting jumpers, pick and pop, one dribble jab step pull up. 
Both centers playing drop coverage, Valanchunas and Ayton. Chris Paul got to his mid-range early for two buckets in the first quarter. But the Pels, you know, they went on a furious run to end the first half. And that was led by C.J. McCollum. The, the Suns were doing a good job. Jay Crowder, Mikael Bridges on, on Brandon Ingram. Mainly it was Jay Crowder guarding him primarily. But you know how quickly, easily they switch that. If there's ever a screen with C.J. and Ingram, they'll switch that all day with Bridges and Crowder. But Aiton was doing a really good job on defense, by the way. Just staying up tall, standing up strong, being a brick wall. They went to the paint and tried to challenge him at the rim. But C.J. McCollum, at the end of the second quarter, he started hitting in the mid-range area. Tough shots. C.J. shots, though. And then you got the energy from Larry Nance, from Herb Jones, stripping the ball and diving on the floor. Amazing hustle. And, of course, Jose Alvarado. He was his, Alvarado has just been amazing this whole series. He's been an energizer bunny. He's giving He gives you the Patrick Beverly vibes. He was a joy to watch all series long. And one thing you got from the Pels, full court pressure. You know, not like organized full court presses, but just picking up their man, whoever had the ball, bringing it up 70 feet at least up the court and making them work seven seconds to get past half court. And you just got to love the energy, the the intensity from them all series long. This was the most physical series uh, I think that I watched, other than the Nets Celtics, I guess, right on the level of it. But a lot of hits off the ball, a lot of rough, tough fouls. Herb Jones in, on Chris Paul the other night or game in game four. It was a physical series. You got to love it. Jose Alvarado. Physical as well. It was just, it was fun basketball. Let's put it that way. Jonas Valanciunas got in foul trouble all night in the first half. He had three fouls. But Larry Nance was just all over the glass towards the end of that second quarter when the Pels made the run to go up by eight at half. Aiton wasn't boxing out. And as I said, CJ was getting hot at the end of the quarter and the Suns turned the ball over way too much. A little bit of crowd, a little bit of bridges, stepping out of bounds, little just little moving screens, avoidable shit like that. And you know when, when they start missing, you know what the Pels wanted to do all series long. Push, push, push. Ingram did a great job trailing on a couple of those breaks and got a couple of easy layups. But the second half is where it got interesting. And it was a full-blown, as we saw in Game 1 and as we saw in Game 3, but even in greater proportion, Chris Paul takeover. Absolutely destroyed this game in pick and roll. Like we saw in Game 6 against my Clippers last year. You can catch a video of that game. It's on my YouTube channel. Like we saw in 2017 against the Utah Trash in Game 3 and 6. Like we saw in Game 5 in 2018 against the Utah Trash when he first made it to the Conference Finals. He was dissecting them in that drop coverage. Dissecting. Again, you can't let him get to his right. And he got there a lot tonight. Whether it was just going to getting a screen to his right and getting to his mid-range or snaking it when they force when they try to get him to go left, and then he gets back to his right. The impressive part about Chris tonight, though, was he was embracing going to his left, setting his feet, stopping on a dime, and hitting. And even one time, he had a fallaway stop on a dime. Well, I wouldn't say stop on a dime, but a fallaway on the you know on the off the dribble going left. That was impressive. When he hit that, I was like, oh my goodness, because I haven't seen him hit a shot like that in, in years, for being real. And. Then he came off a screen going to his left for a three. He was hitting everything. And also, when defenders were trailing him going to his left, he would get to the floater. 
both times. You know, CP is just, he has counters to basically everything. The only thing I, I, I he can't really do is one-on-one when he's g- driving left and a guy's like just sitting on his hip. He doesn't have the size or the stop on a dime. He loves going to his right. He can do it going to his right. He falls away and gets that space, but going to his left, he can't. You saw the Bucks exploit that last year and even for my Clippers, you know, that's, but that's, again, that's like a, you know, a small flaw that I have to really pick out, you know, stopping on a dime going both ways for a six-foot point guard. That's best attributes, not even scoring is like, this is your, 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 uh, you're digging deep there. But the thing about the Pelicans is they don't have, they didn't have that switch everything personnel. And when you don't have switch everything personnel against Chris Paul, he can pick you apart. He's so sharp with his decision making. You blitz him, and they weren't blitzing him at all, really, till like very late. He was getting to that mid range, getting to the, you're just killing the drop coverage, literally, killing it bad. And by the way, I forgot to mention, Devin Booker came back in this game, and he did not look good in the first half to me, guys. Just, didn't look very confident in his moves. Took some really bad threes just early in the shot clock. Within a pass, was not moving without the ball like he normally would. Like there was one time where Chris had the ball and they were loading up on him, and Book just, and they were just sagging off Book completely. And Book was to get into a good sh- uh, pass pocket or pa- give Chris a good passing hill. He just backed up like four feet behind the line where Chris had to bounce past it. If he threw it over the top, defender would have time to react. If he bounced past it, he would still have time to react and and get there in time. He didn't like back cut or, or try to do anything, move move a little bit, sink a little deeper, make Chris's life easier. And that's rare from Book. But he just didn't look sharp. But in the second half, he looked a little better. Hit two buckets in the third quarter. Uh, I think it was two buckets, only at least two in the third. And then Aiton, you know, his defense was really good. Standing up strong, standing up tall. He had a block. And the Pels were rattled when Chris Paul was on his run. And the biggest thing that changed the game, CJ McCollum getting his fifth foul. It was a controversial foul, and it really killed the Pels because he was out for a large stretch, and you just know how dependent this team is shot creation-wise on Ingram and CJ. And when they didn't have CJ in or Ingram, it was tough. It was really tough. And Brandon Ingram played 44 minutes, so it wasn't even that much that he wasn't in. But it was very tough with that five fouls. Because the, the the life just got sucked out of the building. Chris Paul sucked the life out of that old building of that building of his. That he, you know, in basketball, in New Orleans, you know, Chris Paul was one of the original. I still think he's the best player in that franchise's history. For being real, he may be the best player in two franchises' history. That's the thing about Chris. But the Alvarado and Nance came in at the end of the fourth. I'm sorry, at the end of the third, and gave the Pels the lead going into the fourth. But in the third quarter, the score was. 34 to 27 in favor of the Suns in that quarter, led by Chris Paul. And then the fourth quarter, you know, a guy that got moved back to the bench tonight, but actually had a really solid game. By the way, Booker was on a minutes restriction. He played 32 minutes. Obviously, you normally see him in the 37 38 range, but 32 minutes in, in such a fast paced physical game, first game back, was not easy. So you got to just give him credit for getting out there. By the way, Chris Paul had some good defensive possessions tonight too, like one-on-one against CJ, against different guys, Herb Jones, holding his own. So credit to Chris. He really turned up his defense after after game four. Or actually, well, really after game two, in my opinion. But fourth quarter. Cam Johnson, I thought, got off to a solid start, hit a big three, hit a couple of big buckets, got a steal, created a turnover by drawing a charge. Four for seven for him from the for the from the field for the game, and two for three from deep, 13 points off the bench. We only saw three minutes of JaVale McGee, so interesting decision by Monty. Only three minutes for JaVale. 
He also got in foul trouble in the first half, and they went to Biombo for five minutes. But after that, they just kind of stuck with Aiton playing a lot. 40 minutes for DeAndre Aiton in the game. And fourth quarter was just more Chris Paul. He, he didn't miss, guys. He literally did not miss. I was waiting for it. I was waiting for him to miss, and he just wouldn't. Whether it was a three, whether it was a mid-range. You know, they put so many different guys on him. They started with Jackson Hayes on him, guys, to try to get length on him. Still was too savvy. Got to create space. Like, when we talk about six-foot point guards, Trey Young, you know, six, three and under, and I was saying Donovan, Trey Young. Who's the other guy? Oh, even Ja. How are they going to create easy baskets? And it's crazy because Chris Paul is not as quick as Trey. He's not as great of a shooter as Trey. He's not, he can't attack the basket like Jaw. He can't elevate like Jaw. Doesn't have the size of Jaw. Doesn't have the athleticism of Mitchell. Doesn't even have the size of Mitchell. But he's so, and he doesn't have the speed, but he's so savvy. Maybe the best player I've ever seen when it comes to keeping the defender, when it comes to getting, when the defender's getting over a screen, keeping him on his back, keeping him behind him. He's just so amazing at using his angles well and using his body well to create space. And when he gets into that mid-range, it's like his layup. You, the way you combat Chris Paul is you have, you have to switch everything, which is the same way they did with Trey. But I don't know. And that's a question. So I'm going to ask that to the subscribers in the comment and the people listening. Is Chris Paul still better than Trey Young right now? Because he doesn't make nearly as many mistakes. He's got the experience. He's a much smarter player. Takes better shots gets to the mid-range and has that as a counter to when, you know, he can't get an easy he can't get really easy shots. But the question is, is that just being a prisoner of the moment? Because and he's much better in defense. But is that just being a prisoner of the moment? Because Trey Young is, you know, carrying a team. He's by far the best player on his team. Chris Paul has Devin Booker, amazing cast of role players and defenders, and a better coach as well. And you know, he didn't play against the Miami Heat, who had to switch everything. And we know that's how you screw Chris Paul up, is switching everything. So he doesn't get that pick-and-roll advantage that he got tonight. So am I being a prisoner of the moment there? Uh, you guys can comment how you feel about that. I'm starting to lean no, though, because I don't really don't think Chris Paul would ever get taken out of a series and attacked the way Trey did. I really am having doubts. And that would mean that he was probably better last year, because Chris Paul didn't get any better this year, and Trey Young didn't get any worse. So I'd have to change my go revisionist on that and change my pick. But Chris Paul was just unbelievable. He would not miss. He set a record tonight for most makes in a playoff game without a miss. 14 for 14. Like, unreal. Only one three. And four for four from the line. He literally did not miss tonight in that in that stadium. But Ingram, fourth quarter, started to create good shots, got in the mid-range area, started drawing doubles, started to cause problems. And then after missing a couple of shots, though, late in the game, they started loading up on a pick and roll that Chris Paul had with Aiton. And blitzing at the end, and Devin Booker was open for a left-wing three and knocked it down to take the lead. Shortly after that, Mikael Bridges got a steal. Him and Jay Crowder trapped, and he got a steal and a dunk to put the Suns up by four. And then to seal the deal, it was Chris Paul getting into the mid-range yet again. One of the best in this era at shutting the door, and he did exactly that to make it one was it yeah 112 to 107 cp just putting on a clinic at his age it's just remarkable and the phoenix suns won the series by virtue of chris paul he was the best player in the series for sure because he took over three different games um but ayton was unbelievable as well and the fact that they got booker back is huge let's read the stat lines for them 
No need to really read the bench, guys. Campaign had a tough series, though, guys. If they want to win the championship, he's going to have to be a lot better. Another inefficient night for him. One for five and one for three from deep in 14 minutes. But let's talk about the starters. Jay Crowder was the only one of them not in double figures. He had a really tough series shooting the ball, but he still plays good defense and still makes an impact positively. But he needs to be better if they want to win the chip. He needs to make his open shots and stay out of foul trouble and stay out of getting so emotional. Nine points, four boards, three dimes, a steal and a block. Three for eight from the field and one for four from deep. Mikhail Bridges, 18 points, seven for 12 from the field and two for two from three. Three rebounds, two assists, two steals. That guy had such a good series. I can't even describe it. He was so good in every game. He did turn the ball over too much tonight. Four turnovers for him is very rare. But with the defense that he plays and the impact that he has in the game, it's like you can't even understate it. He can never be put into the stats. Devin Booker, tough night for him, but he's getting back into the swing of things. 13 points, 5 boards, 3 assists, 2 turnovers, 5 for 12 shooting. He also stops his dribble sometimes prematurely. I don't like that. Two, 1 for 6 from deep. DeAndre Ayton, though. You feel like he should take more shots when he shoots like this. 22 points, 7 boards, 4 assists, a steal and a block, no turnovers on 10 for 12 shooting. And by the way, I'm taking Ayton over Go Rudy Escar-Gobert all day long. The real question is, after Carl Anthony Towns, are we going Ayton or Bam? Would you even take Towns over those guys? Comment, because I think it's Embiid and Jokic, obviously. And then after that, Towns, Embiid, I'm sorry, um, Bam, Aiton, and and um, not Rudy. Bam, Aiton, and yeah, I, I, and I'm sorry, Towns. So now we go to the Pelicans. Trey Murphy, by the way, also had a great game. Four threes. His length is, is great as well. On the defensive end, 12 points, 4 for 7 from deep. Those were all his shots. Alvarado, 11 points, 3 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 4 for 8. Was just a pest and awesome to watch. He's going to hopefully have a good career in this league. 31 minutes he played. And then Nance, 15 and 8. He had a really good postseason. Good playing games as well. 15 points, 8 rebounds, 5 for 9 from the field, and 5 of 5 from the foul line. Jackson Hayes only played 12 minutes, 8 points, 4 for 7. Herb Jones, I'm sorry, Valanchunas, 27 minutes. He got in foul trouble um, in the first half, but in the second half, just didn't. He played and he got cooked in pick and roll, man. There's not much to say. Um, not much. I don't know how much better he could have done. It was the scheme to be in drop coverage, and Chris was just amazing, and he kills drop coverage. 10 points, 8 rebounds, and 4 assists for him on 5 for 7 shooting. Then Herb Jones, 16 points, 4 rebounds, 4 assists, 4 steals on 5 of 9 shooting, and 1 for 2 from deep, and 5 for 5 from the line. He was just amazing all series. One of the best one of the best defenders as a rookie that I can remember. And then CJ McCollum, just so tough that he was in foul trouble. It really killed them. 16 points on 7 for 16 shooting and 1 for 5 from deep. And Brandon Ingram, 21 points, 5 rebounds, 11 assists, 6 turnovers, though. They turned the ball over 16 times. The Suns turned it over 14 times, though, but the 16, those hurt. They only shot 8 for 23 from 8 for 24 from deep. Bennett Ingram, 21-5-11, and 8-for-19 from the field, and 2-for-6 from deep. He had such an amazing series, though, and it was awesome to see Brandon Ingram play and show himself on the big stage finally. He deserved it. It was an awesome series, a great season for the Pels in the end with the CJ trade, and now the ball's in Zion's court. If he can come back, this team with the, the, the rookies that they have, you know, Alvarado, Najee Marshall, Herb Jones, young team, Jackson Hayes, Ingram is young. They, the sky's the limit for this Pelicans team. It's going to be a really... I know the Pelicans fans are going to be really looking forward to next season. They should be a playoff team, at least playing 7th seed, 8th seed. 
You know, they got a bright future. And Ingram, this playoff experience will be great for them. But yeah, guys. So the Suns and the Mavs, what a matchup we have on our hands. I'm definitely leaning the Suns, but I'm going to go seven games. I think it's going to go the distance. And it also depends how healthy Booker is. If he looks like he does tonight, it's definitely going the distance. Do those, uh, do, I think the Mavs are the best part in the series. And this is where Booker needs to show himself right here and match Luka. If he can match Luka's production in some way, shape, or form, Suns have got him. But And the Suns should have them, regardless of Booker's health or not. He should be. It should be fine. They should have, they have home court advantage. They have the experience. They have way more talent all the way around. But this team is going to switch more on Chris Paul. They're going to be more tactical. They're going to be more savvy with Jason Kidd. Although, you know, the Pelicans were savvy too. But the Mavs, they're a better defensive team, much better. And they've been in the playoffs for a couple of years. Pelicans are inexperienced. Luka may be the best player in the series. And sometimes just having the best player in the series wins it. Um, we didn't see that necessarily for the Denver Nuggets. But we can argue Steph Curry may have been the best player in the series when it came to crunch time. And crunch time matters. And we'll see. But Luka Doncic, they're gonna, it's, it, congratulations to the Mavs. Finally, they got past round one. Much easier when you're not playing my clips, though, is it? And um, I wish them the best. I'm rooting for the Mavs. The Suns are just kind of annoying. And it's going to be really fun. It's going to be really fun. Let's talk about really quickly the Sixers and the Heat. By the way, I just want to say about this Eastern Conference, I think this is – these are the best four teams – that have been like final four teams standing in the Eastern Conference of my life. I was born in 98, so take that for what you will. But I don't think there's ever been four teams this good in the Eastern Conference since I've been alive. I think the only other year we can kind of compare, 2019, we had the Celtics, Raptors, Bucks, and Sixers. But I don't know. That Sixers team, you know, with the Jimmy Butler trade midseason, the Tobias trade midseason, or, you know, Jimmy Butler trade was earlier in the season, but they just didn't have that chemistry to me. Whereas this Embiid is just 10 times the player. And I'm always going to go with James Harden, no matter how bad he looks in the playoffs over Ben Simmons. So I'm taking, and Tobias has also been there for a couple of years now. So I'm, I think this Philly team is better. The Boston team is just not even close um, to that Boston team. And then you have this Bucks team, which is much better than that Bucks team. And then obviously the Raptors, the, the championship Raptors were fantastic and better than this Heat team. But I think that this 2019 I'm sorry, this Eastern Conference, these are the best four teams remaining in my lifetime. I also think that this is the best quality series with the Bucks and Celtics, despite, you know, it sucks that Middleton's not playing. And because Middleton's missing the whole series, which is just devastating, I think the Celtics are going to win. I'm not going to say six or seven games yet. I'm going to make my decision with the preview. We'll probably make a preview for that series. But um, I'm taking the Celtics, especially with the way they're playing. It's another series where the Bucks are the best player in the series, so maybe be enough. The Bucks look great without Middleton. They haven't lost, but Celtics will be a different animal than Chicago altogether. It's going to be an amazing series, but I was going to say, I think that the Bucks and the Celtics are the two best teams to play each other in the East since I've been alive, too. I think that the Raptors-Bucks in 2019 is the only series that compares, but these two teams are so solid, man. Oh, I'm sorry. I don't want to say it that way. The best two teams that have played each other in an Eastern Conference playoff series since LeBron was with Miami, at the very least. I would stand by that big time. And it's going to be a, a dogfight. It's going to be a war. I'm so excited to watch this. This two Eastern Conference series are just top-notch. But the Western Conference series aren't going to be slouches either. You know, this is as, as balanced as it's been with conferences in my life. It's, it's kind of like the 90s. But it's going to be exciting. I got the Suns. I'm going to wait on my picks. I'm going to try to get previews out for all, all the series, possibly. We'll see how that goes, but I'll try. Thanks so much, guys, for joining me tonight. Super Chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar a dime. Remember to leave a comment for the algorithms. Tell your friends about the podcast. We want more people to listen. 
And we're always looking to build the community. So let your friends know and drop a comment and leave a review if you'd like. Super chats are turned on if you want to drop a dollar or a dime. Good night, and I'll see you guys. No games on Saturday. So tomorrow, after Memphis and Minnesota, I will be live. Hopefully, I'm talking about that we have a Game 7 on our hands because it's always great to get one Game 7 in the first round, right? Peace.